0: Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We are ex-Mormon Christians united for Jesus. Find us at unveilingmormonism.com. My name is Lynn Wilder. I'm a former tenured professor at Brigham Young University, now a follower of the Jesus of the Bible. And my husband is co-host Michael
1: Hello. Yes, it's good to be here and I'm I'm an ex high priest, you know. I got up there and then I lost it, okay? So, uh praise God though, to even think of myself as a high priest now as a biblical Christian is an abomination. Uh there's only one high priest and we know who that is. So so anyway, we're excited to have Dr. Matt back with us again. He's going to be <laughs> this session we're going to just talk about physics and all kinds of higher mathematics and uh engineering, um nuclear energy, uh and all that stuff, right? You know, we're gonna have a class on that. So sure. Yeah, sounds okay. great. Okay. It'll <laughs> be my first oh, lecture Matt, Matt, as a
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe maybe we should talk about the Bible. Okay. Maybe sure. we should do that. So
0: well, Matt could tell the audience though what his doctorate is in. Yes, go always- ahead.
2: Yeah, my so my PhD is in nuclear engineering and science from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. All right, so nice.
0: Micah if- was actually a um, an astrophysics major <laughs> before he came to Jesus and went into ministry full time. Um yeah. That's impressive.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, but anyway, we're 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 there, and we- I'm just. I don't I'm think just, we've
0: introduced Matt this time, baby. Yeah, well,
1: let, go ahead and introduce him again. So This make is sure. part
0: three with Matt Eklund. Um, Matt is a former LDS missionary raised in Utah, um, home from his mission now, going to college, pretty much focused on college. Said he started to have some questions when he was teaching gospel essentials, maybe, um, which is something that's taught it is kind of the basics of Mormonism, usually taught to new um converts into Mormonism. There's all kinds of crazy stuff I learned from that particular manual. One of the things I remember from that Gospel Essentials manual because I used to teach it too, was that the Holy Ghost was not omnipresent, but that his influence could shine down by this like the sun, right? And I remember thinking, Oh, wait. Jesus has a body, Father has a body. They're contained materially to one time and one place. So surely the Holy Spirit could wander around. <laughs> wait. No, that doesn't work in Mormonism either. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Well, yep. Yep. we um let's pick up Matt's story. Or Mike, were you gonna start with with some kind of joke here?
1: Joke? <laughs> what do you mean jokes okay uh well we 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 do have some serious things since Matt got his undergrad and master's degree at the University of Utah maybe we should talk a little bit about football oh. uh, about you know is <laughs> it, <it's, it's laughs> cam Rising, the quarterback going to ever play again at the University of Utah so that's that's the main question but anyway uh, no, we, I was going to say, gotta,
2: uh, if you're going to ask about
1: sports, I'm the last person you should ask. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, okay. Well, but anyway, so, uh, but our uh, anyway. oldest son
0: graduated <laughs> from the University of Utah. Yeah. And so yeah. Mike does follow. Yeah, okay. Well,
1: uh, Matt, uh, Josh is going to be at the game today. So, uh, but anyway, we can catch up with that later. So, anyway, so
0: basic questions, okay? Wait, what, what happens if what, you take Utah off the map, Mike? Did we do that already?
2: We didn't record it.
1: We didn't record it. Oh, what happens if we... T- Matt, what happens when we take Utah off the map? I don't know. What happens? Idaho Falls. And that's where you live. Idaho Falls. Okay. But anyway. That, <laughs> we need, we need to add I, an I, editing add a at the <laughs> end of that. But uh, I didn't know we were going to add that joke. So, okay. <laughs> Len, Len's got <laughs> to be be funny here. So we're trying to be serious um, getting into the gospel. So now the facts. Okay, we're going to get into doctrinal points. Okay, there's a lot of things you can talk about in Mormon history, Joseph Smith, all the craziness done there, polygamy and all this. But really what it comes down to is Mormon doctrine, doctrine biblical doctrine. That's the key thing. Does Mormon doctrine align with the Bible? And Matt's going to tell us now. No. Okay. And thank you for this episode. We will now close and move on to something else. Uh, we we like detail. Okay. Um, but it, it's interesting. As you mentioned, you get into physics, you get into science, there's facts. You know, you right. can't change that. Regardless of what you think, regardless of how you feel, it's fact. It's going to be the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, just as God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He can't be changing his doctrine all the time. He can't be changing the temple endowment. He can't be changing the way you get saved and the way you interact with God every time there's something different that comes along that you want to be socially acceptable. It's fact. So, Matt, give us some examples of what or or tell us a story how you started seeing the difference between Biblical doctrine and Mormon doctrine.
2: Yeah, thank you, Michael. Um, that's that's actually a great way. I was I was gonna kind of uh piggyback off what you just said, the idea of just changing doctrine. I think Latter-day Saints have a much more fluid um understanding of doctrine. They they're they're more willing to accept the fact that God could say X one day and then later reveal not X. And I think that's just due to the fact that. Um, well, for example, polygamy, I use that, I bring that up a lot. Um, Polygamy was taught as an eternal principle that would always be practiced on the earth. And there were several prophets that said that this will never be taken from the earth. Even if kings and tyrants, they tried to keep us from doing it, you know, this is God's revealed law. And so we can't change it. Well, obviously most Latter-day Saints in, in Utah are not polygamists. So they have to reconcile the fact that, well, this thing that was taught as an eternal principle is no longer being practiced. So how, how does that work? So that leads into to kind of this this discussion about what kind of made me question, and uh, we we teased in the last episode how for me it was it was just God kind of helping me to see Scripture from from a more maybe objective view or more uh, you know a more just clear view you know just kind of like the plain view of the text rather than trying to read the Bible through the lens of of the Latter Day Saint restoration framework, and it kind of makes me wonder well yeah why would God reveal something back then as a moral truth or principle and then change it later it didn't make sense to me so it kind of pushed me to to see the bible as not something that's been that's passe not something that's been replaced or something that's you know kind of just like a, a historical document but rather view it as something that is doctrinally relevant for me in in all aspects you know uh, you, you kind of see as a Latter-day Saint, a lot of times you read the Bible kind of picking and choosing. You're like, well, I don't know about this, or, you know, maybe this isn't accurate, or maybe, you know, we know how, we have a Latter-day revelation that replaces this. But when you unfold the Bible as a living, breathing document, that's just as relevant to you as it was to Moses or to Jesus and, and the people in that time, it, it's kind of a huge paradigm shift. Um, and I think it kind of started when you just read passages like, um, um, like when the Pharisees and Sadducees would question Jesus, he would, he would respond by saying, have you not read what God spoke? And he would quote the old Testament. Mm -hmm. And the old Testament was a couple thousand years before them. So we, we see from that, that Jesus quoted scripture from thousands of years before. And he said, have you not read what God spoke to you? And so not only was it relevant for them at that time, but is it is, as if God spoke to the people of Jesus's day, just as much as to the people who who we spoke to in the day that the scripture was written. And so you read things like that and you're like, wow. Okay. So if Jesus thought scripture from a couple thousand years ago was just as relevant to them today, then I should be looking at scripture as just as relevant and true today. I I shouldn't be looking for reasons why it's not true or reasons why it's been replaced by other revelation. If God spoke it and God's an unchanging God, as, as you both said, then it should be true just as much today as it was back then. And so that was kind of the paradigm shift. And so if we wanted to get into like specific passages, we can do that. But that I kind of wanted to, to, to frame the discussion a little bit in terms of that, like seeing scripture as something that is just as relevant today.
1: Oh, that is deep. That's great. Great. So so I would say uh, um, when you started feeling through this procedure, and again, mm-hmm. as you realize in Mormonism, and then we need to tell our uh, uh, people who are listening who are Christians, Mormonism is all about feelings. You know, read this from the Book of Mormon. How does that make you feel? Oh, I it feels good. Well, then it must be true. And if that feelings true, then the whole book has to be true. Um, and it's just like uh, uh you know, in any kind of analogy, you could you could you could look at something and read something and say, well, that makes me feel good. But is it true? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, but it makes me feel good. Oh, I really enjoyed Star Wars. (laughs) That's a great movie. It made me feel really good. The ending was just wonderful. Well, is it true? Well, no, it's just the story. And Mm -hmm. so, so many times we read things in, in the Book of Mormon, it might make you feel good or you could even be reading verses from the Bible because how many verses are copied directly from the King James Version of the Bible into the Book of Mormon, which is... And then the rest of your story to begin with. And you read those verses and yeah, you feel good about it. So therefore, it, the whole thing must be true. Um, so, right, that's, you, a, that's
2: that's a good point. Yep, thank you for bringing that up. I was, I was actually, sorry to interject. I was just going to say quickly that, yeah, I, I I agree completely with you that it seems like you read things through a more spiritual lens. So, so there was the doctrinal aspect of why I started to have questions, but there's that spiritual aspect too, where... You know, anything that makes you feel good or feel at peace, you know, is, is associated with God. But like you said, you could watch a Disney movie or something with really swelling music and, you know, it makes you feel that same feeling. And, th- and I kind of re- recognize that. And I spoke to that with several LDS friends and they're like, yeah, that is kind of strange, isn't it? It's almost like you can manufacture the feelings of the spirit. And so, when you start to question that, then you're like, "Oh, this rock solid, uh, you know, uh, bedrock testimony I had of the Book of Mormon. Maybe it's not so rock solid." So, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to, to oh, throw
1: that no, in. No, no, no. This is your story, so this this continue. Um, I just want to get that across to a lot of uh, Christians out there. Is that, um, it's not about. I mean, you can use feelings, but you know, it says in the Bible, there's nothing more to cease, this This uh,
0: the, the heart is deceitful above all else
1: right right that's what i was trying to think of good no. good for you jim <laughs> but uh but you know the heart can mislead you and misguide you in directions you should go um and i forget what verse it is it says even to a point the heart can bring forth a false testimony mm-hmm. and when you think about that it's like whoa. uh yeah you look at that and said yeah i i could bring i could feel good i could feel it in my heart but it's a false testimony and it's not the right direction to go. That's why we have to reconcile everything back to the word of God uh, and then justify it in the word of God and to reconcile it in the word of God. And then it starts to make more sense. Take it away, Matt.
0: Yeah. What are yeah, some of the oh. first things that you stumbled across that really went, Whoa, made you, <laughs> made you think.
2: Sure. Yeah, I wanted to just piggyback off of Michael, just really quick. Uh, a couple of the church history things that made me question or made me doubt was, yeah, you read in church history, and you read, I think it was the incident where they were trying to sell the the they were trying to print the Book of Mormon, and they, so the, he sent some missionaries, I think to Canada. Maybe mm-hmm. both of you can 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 uh, question can correct me on that. But he sent them to Canada to try to to get this printer to 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 print it, and it didn't work out. And so they came back and they said, "Well, God told us to do this. What's going on?" And and I think Joseph, that's when Joseph Smith said something like, "Well, some revelations are from God, some re- revelations are from man, and some are from the devil." And it's like, "Huh? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> so how how do I know which is which then? <laughs> if if it seemed like it was from God, but then it turns out well, it wasn't." And that goes along too with a quote from Brigham Young, where it said, where he said that the devil could actually replicate the burning in the, in the bosom from the Holy Spirit. And so those wow. statements from prophets made me think, well, okay, well then how really trustworthy are my feelings, you know? It it sounds like even the prophets are saying you can't trust them. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Um, But I didn't know that
0: as a Mormon, or or at least I certainly read those quotes, but it didn't sink into me because the church Hmm. surely taught me that the only way to tell truth was through feelings. So I totally trusted my feelings, right? I don't, there was nothing else to trust because Mormon scripture does not have internal consistency, Mormon scripture often <laughs> refutes itself. And so you can't really trust that, right? And so mm-hmm. all you have is your feeling.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, so if, if we want to talk about like some some passages that actually kind of made me question, um, well, there's, there's always those passages that you read as Latter-day Saint, and you can make them fit. So we talked about in the previous episode, Michael, I think it was you that spoke it, that... Um, a lot of times when we say salvation, when when Protestants or Evangelicals say salvation, that triggers a different thought in the mind of a latter-day saint. They think of mm-hmm. like salvation from death, which is a free gift. Everybody is saved from death because of the resurrection of Christ. So you read passages like Ephesians two, um, and it talks about how uh even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Um it says, and in verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. There are, uh, I can't remember which sources, but I, I know I've read that LDS will attribute that specifically to the resurrection and not to eternal life and exaltation. So when you just read Ephesians two, for example, and you just read, okay, is this actually just talking about the resurrection? Well, my question that I, that I always ask to Latter-day Saints is, if you're saved from death through the resurrection, but you're still sent to outer darkness, can you really say that you're saved? Do you know what I mean? Like is is being resurrected to condemnation in outer darkness, is that really being saved, you know? (laughs) Spending all of eternity in torment and suffering with a body. Like, you know, what is the body helping you at that point? So that's why over time, it didn't really make sense. When you read Ephesians 2, it's not just saving us from death because that's not much of a salvation. You know, people who are suffering, in eternity in a body, they're not thinking, Oh, wow. I'm so glad I have my body right now. You know, (laughs) they're not in a good state. So, so when you just read passages like that, you think, Oh, okay. It's not talking about just salvation from death, but salvation from my sin. Especially when you read just at the beginning of the chapter, it says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. But then he continues on and talks about how they were children of wrath. So we were, we were enemies to God, which even the book of Mormon agrees with that we were born and, you know, in some sense, enemies of God, But, and that's, you know, that's, that's where it switches, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So it's talking about being dead in sin made us alive together with Christ. So passages like that just made me really think, okay, he's not specifically limiting it to the state of the body upon death. He's talking, we were at once, one time we were dead in our sins and God made us alive and it wasn't anything we did. Is completely by grace so that no one can boast. So mm-hmm. little little passages like that, I was like, okay, you know, even as a Latter-day Saint, I wasn't willing to accept that view, but, you know, I was reading it and I was like, huh, okay, that makes sense. If it's either got to be what the LDS church teaches or it has to be all by grace, you know, if you try to mix works in with it, then it's not grace. But I still wasn't willing to embrace that quite yet. You know, like you, as a Latter-day Saint, you kind of put things on the shelf and as we talked about earlier and, and you move on. So that, that was one big passage for me. Um, and there's a lot more uh, we can go into if you'd like, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you, uh, I, I won't try to steer the, dire- the direction of the uh, <laughs> discussion. I'll let you take the reins.
0: No, but I want you to steer it. So what, okay. <laughs> what else did you bump up against that really, you know, shook you up?
2: Sure. Um, so it, over, it was kind of like a long period of time where, where I was reading the Bible and, trying to find some kind of clarity to these historical discussions. And I kind of had a shelf breaking moment that was primarily due to like the historical issues and the inconsistencies and changes in LDS doctrine. And so I had that moment where I kind of just lost, you know, I lost my mind basically like for a couple of days, I'd shut off my phone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Cause I just had to figure Like I I just felt like I was just despondent, you know? And so I, when I kind of started to like get a grip and I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to figure this out you know, I'm going to make this work, you know, all, all these inconsistencies and contradictions, it's not a big deal. I um so I started reading the Bible more and, and reading um the Book of Mormon more, but it's but I also started watching debates. And so I started watching a lot of debates from James White on YouTube where he debates Catholics. Mm-hmm. And um he and so I started also watching his program. And so like there were a couple of programs I watched of his where he just walks through John 6 with which is something uh Christians don't know this, but Latter day Saints when they go, when they have what they call sermons, what they call talks. When they do sermons or general conference talks, they don't do expository preaching or expository reading of the scriptures. They don't go verse by verse and say, This is what this means, this is what this means. It's frequently kind of like proof texting where you take a verse out of context and you say, Okay, it means this, and then you move on quickly to the next proof text. Mm-hmm. And so I was just watching James White's program where he was just going a verse by verse in John chapter six, um, just talking about how the 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 people who were there, you know, and, and, received his body. They received the blood and the wine. Um, oh, was it the blood and the wine? Uh, am I misspeaking? John six it says he who drinks this, uh, you know, has eternal life. Anyways. Um, it was in that sermon after he multiplied the, the, the food to everybody in the crowd. And so, um, he was just going verse by verse and he was explaining to them that you cannot believe because you are not my sheep. And I, you know, I just gone, I, I just couldn't understand that. I was like, "Well, as a Latter Day Saint, there's no one who's you know anybody could become one's sh- a sheep if if you choose." Um, so he he just went verse by verse, and it was just like I couldn't I couldn't deny what he was saying in in John six, talking about how you know it, it is his sheep who hear his voice, and um, those who eat this bread will 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 live forever. All these different things that he was talking about, and in um, just this concept that the God is the one who reaches out to us and changes our hearts rather than us kind of trying to prove ourselves to God is kind of how a lot of times I felt as Latter-day Saint. If it was like, I make the covenants with God and it's up to me to, to prove myself. But Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I, in him, he's basically saying, whoever comes to me and whoever God gives grace to that's who has eternal life. And that was just such a different paradigm shift. Like it, I was like, wait a minute, you're saying I don't have to work or keep these covenants to like have eternal life. And he, he went through various other passages that said the same thing, you know, I, just reading Romans. Uh, Romans was basically the, the the nail in the coffin for me mm. um, because I was a Latter-day Saint and I had read his book on the Trinity, James White's book on the Trinity. And I was like, you know, all these misconceptions of Latter-day Saints have about the Trinity. Oh, you know, Jesus is talking to himself or, you know, how could Jesus be baptized while the Father's also speaking from heaven? And I think we talked, we, we mentioned we would talk a little bit about the Trinity, but that was a big hangup that I had. And so you don't, they're, and they're That taught.
0: book is called The Forgotten Trinity, I believe. That was huge for Trinity. me as yep. well. So I yeah. will point people to that book, James yeah. White, The Forgotten Trinity.
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's I, that's a really good book. I think as, a, as kind of a primer into Trinitarian doctrine from the Bible. And yeah, it you're you're as a Latter Day Saint, you're taught a misconception of the Trinity that's closer to like modalism, where you know like Jesus is both the Father and the Son at the same time. That that's kind of how they conceive the Trinity, and so they say, well, that doesn't make any sense because the Father's speaking from heaven, the Spirit's descending, and and Jesus is going in the water. But then when I read the Forgotten Trinity and like watch my videos, I realized, oh, what I was told as Latter Day Saint is the Trinity is not even close to what the actual Trinity Mm -hmm. is, and and so. I was, I was kind of trying to morph or synthesize these new ideas into what I believed as a Latter-day Saint. So even after my shelf breaking moment, I tried to make it work as a, as a Latter-day Saint. Um, I tried to be like, well, maybe, maybe the Trinity, maybe I could be like a Trinitarian Mormon, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't really make sense because the Trinity is so antithetical to what Mormons believe, but I tried to make it work. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so passages on the Trinity, uh, um, how there's, how there's one God, um, salvation by grace alone. So I, I also was reading part of his book, um, the God who justifies. And I would read that on my, cause I, I didn't have a car at the time. My car wasn't working. So I had to take two or three buses to get to church in New York. This is back when I was still in grad school at RPI in New York. So I took two or three buses to get to the chapel in Albany. And, uh, I was reading his book, the God who justifies. And he was talking about how He's going through the problem of sin that we're all, we all stand condemned before God, you know, according to Romans chapter three, and then gets to, to Abraham in chapter four and talks about how it's in Genesis, quoting Genesis 16, I believe, where it says Abraham believes God and his credit to him is righteousness. And so, you know, I, I, Mormons, as Latter-day Saints, we don't really have this concept of imputation or crediting of Christ's righteousness, it's it's more of like a closer to the Roman Catholic view or like an infusion of righteousness. You know, like as you believe in Christ and are baptized in the LDS faith, God kind of infuses grace and faith into you and righteousness, but it's also something you have to cooperate with, like you grow in your righteousness before God. So you can't really say, like you said, like you said earlier, Lynn. Um, sorry, Dr. Wilder. Uh like you said about how um LDS can't really say oh, I'm definitely going to heaven or the celestial kingdom, or I'm definitely going to be exalted because they don't, they don't have that assurance. They don't know for certain because it's dependent upon their covenant keeping. But then as I was reading uh, the God who justifies and alongside it, just reading Romans four, it says, uh, you know, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And uh, it says uh, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So it's excluding any idea of works in terms of righteousness And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So it's making it very clear. The righteousness that we receive from Christ is apart from works. It's apart from what we do or what we add. And when I found out, or I can't remember who I think it might've been watching one of Jason Wallace's uh, videos on his ancient paths, TV program, uh, Jason is a great guy. I, I, I've talked to him quite a bit since then. Um, he points out that the Joseph Smith translation changed that he justifies the ungodly. And Joseph Smith translation changed that that phrase to say justifies not the ungodly to say the exact opposite. And that really bothered me because it's like, well, you're changing the Bible. You're changing the exact opposite meaning of what it says. So that really hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember like that was kind of like the last thing that I really struggled with was, well, it was justification and priesthood. And so when I realized justification is completely separate from anything I do or any priesthood ordinance or any covenant or whatever, you know, like any covenant I have to make with God is it's God just forgiving me through the son, the, the son's righteousness and his works. I was like, well, then I don't need priesthood. You know, priesthood is something that's seen as like a mediator between us and God. Like you can't get to God directly unless you have this priesthood. But if I realize I can be justified by grace apart from works, apart from anyone else, just directly through Christ, I don't need all that, and so that was kind of like the last snippet of you know all, all the historical questions. Like you said, uh, Michael, you did a great job explaining how you can get into the historical questions. But really, what matters is how are we right before God? And so when when God helped me to understand that we're right before God, we're we're forgiven, we're justified, we're considered perfect and righteous, not by our works but by Christ's righteousness credited to us, like a cloak being put on you. Mm-hmm. That changed. Yeah. That completely changed everything. So I, mm-hmm. I I could no longer at that point be like synthesizing you know being a trinitarian mormon or injecting you know traditional christianity into mormonism because the there is no there is no concept of crediting righteousness in in, the lds faith i don't think it's compatible i think they're completely they're like to uh, to bring science into it immiscible fluids they can't mix yeah yeah. it's like oil and water yeah
0: Yeah. perfect place to end we're going to do one more with Michael, He's, or um, with, with Matt. He's going to talk about um, his chapter in the book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, and we can tie up his testimony. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity to hear Mormon missionaries do come to Christ. Um, God is on the move. Grace and peace to you. Until next time. May God bless.